Here we are for our special episode. Thank you for joining us today. It's uh, I, I inadvertently scheduled the clubhouse for 3 o'clock Pacific. My mistake. We were on at 1 o'clock today, 3 o'clock uh, in Alabama, where Caleb is. Yeah. Uh, Susan, everything good with you? Excellente. You've been running around all day, and uh, you, as you said, you don't you have nothing but time the rest of the day, which is uh, I've never heard those to words. work for you. I've never heard those words come out of your mouth, so that's very good. Well, I have more time after this than I did before. Excellent, excellent. Uh, we are out on Clubhouse as we uh, are. I'm watching you guys uh, out there, and again, you raise your hand, we bring you up here, and you will be streaming on multiple platforms, including uh, Twitch, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, I'm heading uh, over to YouTube. Twitch now. Um, if today's conversation, if we get uh, somehow kicked off YouTube, please do look for us at Rumble. I don't think they should or be. Or Twitch or Facebook right. for the next week if we get canceled. We'll I, let I, you know. I, Just look at our socials. We'll yeah, I don't think we will. I, I can't we, imagine Yeah, we we've will. somehow been under the radar for a while. I'm very no, excited. No, because I think we've learned that, first of all, they've sort of softened a bit uh, on the medical conversation. And... and uh, we have been. We sort of understand where the where the difficult zone is for them, and we've sort of stayed away from it. And today should not be difficult. I've been uh, of the opinion for quite some time that one of the sources of vaccine hesitancy is the way they obscure the vaccine data, and uh, the way they sort of treat the public like they can't handle the information. And I think that is anathema. That is how you create vaccine hesitancy. There's no doubt in my mind about that that people need all the information possible so as we would normally do, so they can make an informed consent. When I get involved with somebody and I'm asking them to take a treatment that has some potential deleterious consequences, but I want them to take it because from my perspective, the risk reward requires it. In other words, they're gonna get more benefit than risk. I need the patient to understand the decision they're making with me. Why we've decided that's not how we're making this decision any longer as it becomes, as it pertains to vaccine and um, COVID therapeutics and whatnot, that it just violates all of my ethical sensibilities. So that being said, we've always been open about talking about the risk reward as it pertains to vaccine. Uh, I am strongly in favor of vaccine therapies before this mic, before the camera's heated up today. I was talking about trying to make a decision for myself on what kind of vaccine I should get, follow-up and booster or not, as somebody who has native immunity and has taken Johnson & Johnson and had a terrible reaction to the Johnson & Johnson. And I'm following, I'm in kind of a weird situation because I've been working with that Additix score group, the Additix group I've been talking about, who I used to be in business with. Um, I'm no longer involved with them formally, but I do believe in their product. And I've been part of a research protocol there where uh, they've been looking at my antibody screen, my neutralizing antibodies. They essentially are looking at my uh, my RBD, my spike protein, my nuclear capsid protein, and my neutralizing antibodies. And there's sort of a good B-cell assessment there. And I have been one of these people that have very high, very high antibodies after having had COVID. Maybe that's part of having severe COVID. I don't know. But then your colleague wants you to get a vaccine. Then I got the J&J &J because I wanted to move about the globe and I couldn't do it with just my natural immunity. I had to show a vaccine. I'm glad I did that. I'm showing a vaccine every time I go into a restaurant. Of course, the vaccine has contributed very little to my immunity. The reality is my innate immunity from the, vac from the infection is far better. But the Additix score that I was following did show that my immunity popped up a little bit after the, uh, after the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. What's very interesting is that my last Additix score went up again, 
which suggests to me I might have been re-exposed to the virus, which I, I, am, I welcome. <laughs> I welcome that because my native immunity is so good, it just sort of causes a little army to develop. That's, this is how our immune system works and sort of pushes out the virus. Now I have more immunity. It's like a vaccination of sorts. I'm actually wondering if uh, Omicron should be something that I you know, something that I that might benefit me versus a vaccine. That's sort of what I'm mulling around. One of my physician colleagues, I, I was sort of asking for her opinion, and she was saying, you got to get the vaccine, just get the vaccine. And she was advocating for the mRNA, mRNA vaccine because there's some data that shows that J&J &J to mRNA crossover is your is, is an excellent fact and one of the best forms of immunity. Which one's that? That's uh, actually the probably the best thing would be Moderna. J&J &J followed by Moderna would probably be the best combo, but that's in people who didn't have COVID. Yeah, There's no data on people with hybrid immunity like me. So it's a different decision. And let's remind ourselves, I had a bad reaction. I to think the, I remember a doctor telling you to get Pfizer. That was when we thought Pfizer was the best one. Yeah, but no, it was like a, a month ago or something. Well, I, Pfizer or Moderna would be equivalent. Just Moderna seems to have a little more sustained immunity than Pfizer. That's why I was saying Moderna would probably be a little better. But yeah, they're both fine. They're both good. Uh, however, Did you see Andrew's Andrew's uh, message uh, that South Africa has already peaked and heading down downward. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, and, uh, I was looking at that data this morning. Is Andrew Ashkazvili, and I think it's going to go back up. I, well, I tell you what's going down is hospitalization and deaths, uh, and so it's very clear that in South Africa, Omicron has not been a significant contributor. Though there's two variables that have left to be fully defined. One was. What happens when Omicron shows up with the older, fatter population that we are in the United States? Will that be a different data point? And there was some concern about children under five being hospitalized and whether that, whether that had popped up from Omicron or not. So these are, the, these are the kinds of things we need to sort out to be able to speak more definitively about Omicron. The, the one thing we were all looking for was, does the vaccine sufficiently cause neutralizing antibodies to Omicron? And yes, that has shown to be so with the booster. So so I, I, I'm a little skeptical of some of that data, but uh, in other words, why three vaccines and not two? It should be after two just as likely. It just may wear off. But we got to remember that for the mRNA vaccine, it's really a three vaccine series. It's really a three-parter. I, I think to have, have sort of led the public to believe that the third piece was a booster was a mistake. It's not. It's a three-part vaccine yet to be boosted. Okay, that with and with and with Johnson and Johnson, it's a two-part vaccine, much like the vaccine program for cervical cancer, the HPV vaccine. That's a three-parter, right? It's one, one month, six months. That's how you take the vaccine to get the sustained immunity. It seems to be that way with the mRNAs as well. So. Uh, having said all that, uh, I was very anxious to speak to our next guest, uh, our guest today, uh, because I saw his interview, I believe it was with John Campbell, the nurse PhD in uh, Great Britain, who gives out some very We good really need to get on this show. Yeah, it'd be great to get him he back. And maybe Kyle can help us with that. Um, but he does very, very solid, sensible, reasonable review of what's available. He has a little bias, but okay, and who doesn't? Uh, my, and by the way, my bias is optimistic. Uh, I, have an opti I have an optimism bias, and I noticed it particularly when Omicron came out because I immediately ran to it's going to be fine before I really had the data uh, available to, to be able to uh, say that. 
um, having having noticed that by that bias in myself, um, it helps you see bias in other people. And his bias is a little more uh, of a catastrophic nature. He like he, he like moves towards catastrophe very easily. Not not easily. He he spills into catastrophic thinking when I'm still in my positive bias. And again, who's right, who's wrong? Probably somewhere between us. That's the reality. Anyway, he I saw him interview our next guest who was just describing to him his story, his clinical syndrome with a vaccine reaction. I'm of the opinion that because these things happen and people should understand what they are and they're for the most part mild and people can recover from quite readily, uh, and by the way, before you react to my present guest, he had been very clear that I think he said he's still glad he got the vaccine because he wants that immunity. And, and God knows uh, if you're having this kind of reaction to the spike protein in the vaccine, it, maybe it'll be worse if you actually got the COVID. I mean, myocarditis, pericarditis and COVID is not an uncommon syndrome. So I thought, and, and to finish my thought here, uh, he went out on that podcast and then was sort of destroyed on social media for daring to talk about his experience, which I thought was disgusting. It was disgusting to me that anybody should be in any way. There are two layers of disgust these days, interfering with what you do with your doctor. That should be none of your goddamn business and attacking people for describing their clinical experience. That is disgusting. Let's bring in my guest, uh, Kyle. Our laws, as it pertains to substances, are draconian and bizarre. The psychopaths start this way. He was an alcoholic. Because of social media and pornography, PTSD, love addiction, fentanyl and heroin, ridiculous I'm a, I'm a doctor for sake. Where the hell do you think I learned that? I'm just saying, you go to treatment before you kill people. I am a clinician. I observe things about these chemicals. Let's just deal with what's real. We used to get these calls on Loveline all the time. Educate adolescents and to prevent and to treat. If you have trouble, you can't stop and you want to help stop it, I can help. I got a lot to say. I got a lot more to say. Since the beginning of the pandemic, nearly one in five Americans has reported consuming an unhealthy amount of alcohol. Could be you, but only 10% of them are actually getting the help they need. Reframe is a neuroscience-based smartphone app that helps users cut back or quit drinking alcohol altogether. Using evidence-based tools, techniques, and content, Reframe guides users through a personalized program to help them reach their goals. Comprised of daily tasks, a comprehensive toolkit, a community forum, and accountability guides, Reframe is a modern, accessible, and affordable resource that can help anyone looking to reevaluate their relationship with alcohol. Reframe is backed by Harvard University and Emory University Schools of Medicine, and it is ranked the number one alcohol reduction smartphone app worldwide with over 350,000 downloads. With Reframe, there's no stigma, just science, no labels, just support. To learn more, go to joinreframeapp.com slash Dr. Drew. Use the code Dr. Drew for 25% off your first month or your annual subscription. That's at joinreframeapp.com slash Dr. Drew. Kyle Warner. How's it going, Drew? Um, excellent. Thank you for being a part of this. Uh, I, I felt so bad for you uh, when you were getting uh, sort of destroyed out there but uh, no we got your back and i think my my viewers here would as well um so you're doing well now let's give an update where you are right now you look great 
Yeah. Yeah. Just uh, about a month ago is kind of when I had that breakdown post that you maybe saw. And I was, mm -hmm. I don't know, it was hard because I did that interview with Dr. Campbell. And then about two weeks after that, I went to Washington, D.C. and actually testified in front of Congress um, in the Senate. We did a big press conference there. And that was really difficult just seeing how little people actually cared. You know, during that press conference, um, some of the people that were invited were like Dr. Fauci, the head of the CDC, head of the NIH, head of the FDA, CEO of Pfizer, CEO of Moderna, CEO of Johnson & Johnson. All of those people were all invited to this hearing to hear vaccine injury. There was about 22 people that spoke. Um, I think there was 11 or 12 scientists and doctors, and then the rest were other people who had been injured. And yeah, it was just tough because you know we get there and all the people that are speaking are there, ready to be there. And then you have this table with all the empty placards of you know Fauci and the head of the NIH, head of the CDC, all the CEOs of the drug companies. And it was just like a giant slap in the face, honestly, because we were hoping at least they would send a representative just to come listen and you know learn this story, learn what's happening because the people that were there injured, there were several from Pfizer vaccine, several from Moderna, one from AstraZeneca, and then a few from Johnson & Johnson as well. And then some of the speakers were like, um, you know, a scientist at MIT who worked on data and statistics. And we had people from the University of Baltimore, Maryland that do clinical trial PhD. And then we also had people from um, UCSF that have patents on mRNA technology. So it was a really, really interesting experience. And there was also two people that spoke under the Whistleblower Protection Act, one from the military. And then one of the ladies that was there released all that Pfizer clinical tri trial data that was kind of a big... Um, to do a few weeks ago. So, you know, when I kind of had that post on Instagram for people that didn't see it, I was basically on my way to a doctor's appointment in the morning. And that day I just had been getting just ripped by people constantly. And it wasn't just like negative commentary, but people were like going back and creating Reddit forums and threads with like my, you know, oh, when he was 11 years old, he had asthma and this is why this happened to him. And we can't listen to him because <laughs> when he was a child, he had asthma. And it was just so crazy to me that people were doing everything in their power to find ways to discredit my story as opposed to just listening. And then another big thing is, you know, I'm from Boise, Idaho, or I live here now, but I'm from Northern California. You know, my mom has been liberal her whole life, voted Democrat, everything. And it's just funny because the other thing people are doing is just saying, oh, this guy's just another nut job from Idaho, you know, conspiracy theorists, right wing yeah, you, you, you immediately go, they immediately go, if they, if they have any question about your, um, point of view or your experience you become nutjob trumper <laughs> like you're you're suddenly yeah. by by not agreeing with exact every every uh, sort of catechistic uh letter of their religious point of view you immediately trigger trump derangement <laughs> because you're you must be with him which is so weird <laughs> it's so crazy it's such a nutty yeah, and world I had another we're living lady, in right now i had another lady message me and tell me you know, just super angry message and to say, you are the face of the anti-vax movement and you are killing tens of thousands right. of people by talking about this All right. story. So let, let's, and let's, address and let's address that. Let's address that. Let's start with that. Let's start with that. You and I encourage vaccines. Are we both in that camp? Yeah, I would say for sure. There's a lot of people I know that should be vaccinated or I wouldn't, I don't want to say right. should be, but they should at least have the information to make that decision on their own. You know, if, if Correct. you're someone so, who so, so I know hang on. Yeah, so I'm going to stop yeah. you. So so would it I think it would be accurate to describe both of our position as definite 
definitely so happy the vaccines are here, <laughs> number one. But number two, all the information should be made available so every patient can make their decision with their doctor what the risk reward is for them, whether they should be vaccinated. Yes. Right? That's it. Period. That's the end. Totally. That's the end of the story, right? Neither and you nor I are going to not make that decision. Well, you should be entitled to make your medical decision with your doctor. It's it's insane that we we're we are moving off of that as the basic ethical, moral, appropriate, medically appropriate position, which is get all the information, make the decision with your doctor. And if anybody gets in the way of the information, that's concerning. And that's kind of what happened to you. Let me let me tell you the one thing. The 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 panel you put together and the and the presentation that was had in front of Congress is very, very common uh, for medical conferences and things. Uh, so to me, that was like, oh, why didn't though that go in front of? Why didn't that go stay in the medical realm? Why did the why did the congressional leaders want to hear this? It didn't. I'm not sure that's the right place for that conversation. And that might have been why you got mm -hmm. into trouble. What, what what led them to want to hear all that? So I think what really happened is there's a senator in Wisconsin, um, Senator Ron Johnson, and he's been very vocal about his position on the vaccine thing. He's also been one of the few mm. people that's willing to listen to the vaccine injuries. And some people say that that is due to his own personal motivations. But, you know, at the end of the day, he's the only one that's actually willing to listen and talk about this mm -hmm. thing. So, you know, when they invited me to come out and speak, I just kind of jumped at the opportunity. And I, I honestly thought that I'd maybe have the possibility of, you know, imparting just a little bit of an impact on those people that are funding all of these, um, I don't know, I guess the people that are making all the money, right? You would think that they would want to help fund their study, which is us. Like we are their study currently. And so the fact that there's, you know, a dozen injured people in the room and none of us are even enrolled in a trial to track our symptoms or to track what's happening to us or trying to help us get better and doing different experimental therapies. I don't understand how that's possible. You know, especially if they're going to make $60 billion between Pfizer and Moderna over the next year. It's like, why, why aren't we in a trial right now seeing, is there a genetic component to this? Was it all just because maybe it was in, um, administered into a vein or into a blood vessel? Like there's so many yeah. little easy things that we could do to learn about this and reduce the yeah. risk. Yeah, I agree. I agree with you. It's interesting. I, I've been wondering about the, particularly the, the way we inject the vaccines because when, when I had my Johnson Johnson vaccine, I had chills immediately throughout my body. And I thought, wow, that's uh, huh, that shouldn't be happening from a local intramuscular injection unless it had some capacity to spread like it was a venous injection of some type. So I, I think that's a really interesting, one of the many interesting things that needs to be discussed. But um, I, I get why the heads of the companies wouldn't show up. I don't get why the CDC wouldn't at least send, did they send anybody? No. No, there is no See, that's, representatives that's weird at all. To me. That's weird. Senator Johnson. That 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 is really. That was the only. Yeah, that and there was, was the also. Only... Huh. Yeah, and um, also, Senator Johnson personally invited every um, state senator and state representative for all of the injured people. So for me and Doug, who is another Idaho injured person, they invited everyone from Idaho. None of the representatives showed up. None of the government officials showed up. The only person there was Senator Johnson and all of the speakers. And then there was no mainstream media that showed up either. So it was, hmm. it was on election day. It was on November 2nd. And that was the only day that they kind of penciled in for us to have this press conference. But 
yeah, we didn't really get the turnout that we were hoping for. And it, maybe that was naive to think that it would be something good, but I, I, I just, I, 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 I'm not, you know, I have mixed feelings about the press getting involved with this. I, I understand why you would want that, but, but uh, then it becomes just politicized. I, I just think this kind of thing mm. should stay in the medical realm, but it should be highly distributed within the, the medical and scientific community to sort of talk about these things. And the fact that it immediately got pushed underground, that, that, that's disturbing to me. I, I hate to hear that. So uh, let's, let's, well, let me ask this. What are you doing going forward? What, what are you, what are you thinking about? What are you interested in doing? Um, so right now I'm still kind of just on the track of trying to get better, more healthy. Um, my vaccine okay. injury for people that don't know, basically I had the Pfizer shot on June 10th. It was my second dose. And about one month later, I had um, severe tachycardia symptoms, which means this really elevated heart rate to the point where I couldn't get it to come down below like 140, 150 beats a minute. Ended up going to the hospital, got dismissed as having an anxiety attack the first time, sent home, you know, without any further care. And then four days later, I had like a minor kind of mini heart attack where my heart squeezed super hard and then it started burning uncontrollably. Rushed back to the hospital, finally got them to listen. I went to a different hospital this time and then um, got seen by a cardiologist who diagnosed me with pericarditis. And so that's the swelling of the okay, liner so let, around the heart. Let, yeah, let's let's slow down. So when you first went in, did they do an echo an, an electrocardiogram? An EKG. They did an EKG. Yeah, they did an EKG and ECG. Okay. They didn't do an echo. It's the same. Okay. So the the echo the electrocardiogram in per, pericarditis. Uh, now, Caleb, maybe throw up the pericardium picture for me. So pericarditis, the, the heart sits in a sack. A lot of people don't know this. When you have an open heart surgery, they have to actually open the sack that the heart sits in. It's a pretty, a rather thick, fibrous sack. And the lining of it can get inflamed, and that's called pericarditis. Okay, thanks, Caleb. And when it does, the EKG shows what are called elevated ST segments in a non-anatomic distribution throughout the precordium. So every, everything looks like... We, we look for these things as signs of uh, uh, restricted blood supply to regions of the heart. But when it's up everywhere, it means something's inflaming everything throughout the heart. And that's usually pericarditis. And pericarditis yeah. is uh, dangerous. It's dangerous. Uh, and it can lead to what's called restrictive or constrictive pericarditis, where you actually get scarring of the myocardium and it kind of restricts the heart from, from expanding and beating the way it normally does. So you want to make sure you treat this. Did they put you on anti-inflammatories? Um, not after the first hospital visit. So the first hospital visit right. when I went in, they just did the EKG. And then they also measured my troponin level, right. which was elevated. Right. It was at a 23. And so that still, right. none of that was a big enough side effect to say, hey, we need to dig into this further. Because I had mentioned, I think I may be having a vaccine reaction. And that was like, immediately mm. the guy said, no, you're not. And that kind of... I messed up by saying that because instead of investigating, he was trying to disprove. But then the second hospital, mm. they measured everything again, sent me to the cardiologist, and they um, prescribed me something called colchicine. And so I did like a 45-day of colchicine. Col which, yeah. Colchicine. Colchicine. And colchicine, colchicine. is an anti-inflammatory, essentially. It's, um, I mean, they in the, the treatment of uh, pericarditis more recently is colchicine. It's also been anti-inflammatories like Motrin-type drugs, also steroids, corticosteroids like decadron or, or prednisone, that kind of stuff. So um, the tachycardia is kind of interesting to me 
did they did they were they at any point concerned you also had myocarditis like what so let's talk about myocarditis for a second so caleb put put the yeah. picture up that i wanted you to put up there myocarditis so what that is is a microscopic picture of a cardiac muscle and all that swarming looking dark material is the nucleuses nuclei of inflammatory cells going in and attacking the muscle so in myocarditis, the muscle gets attacked throughout the heart. A whole heart gets inflamed. And that by itself, it's dangerous. You can get rhythm disturbances. You can have sudden death just from that. Okay, now bring us back, Caleb. And down the road, you can get permanent damage to the muscle called cardiomyopathy, where the muscle just becomes a baggy bag that doesn't eat very well. And that's time for heart transplant. Uh, and that's a really, really very serious thing that we worry about. We don't know. One of the things people have concerns about is whether we're going to see cardiomyopathy down the line from myocarditis related to COVID or COVID vaccines. Thus far, it doesn't look like we're seeing that. So did they worry about myocarditis at any point? Yeah, that was definitely a concern early on. But it was interesting because the first hospital, when they measured my troponin level, it was elevated. And then the second time I mm -hmm. went in, it was borderline. So it wasn't still elevated. So that was a good sign. Mm -hmm. And then when we did the echocardiogram, yep. um, he just saw the slight pericardial effusion. He didn't see any myocarditis. So then we followed that up with a cardiac MRI and then also a CT angiogram. And both of those were clear. Um, and then basically I just had to deal with the pericarditis. After we resolved the pericarditis, I was still having a lot of heart issues as far as um, my heartbeat kind of running away from me. And what I mean by that is like, if I stood up and I just was standing there for yeah. a minute, my heart rate would go all the way up to 130 just standing. And so we went in and yeah. did a cardiac stress test and they diagnosed Okay, so hold on. We're gonna, I want to, right, you had POTS, but I want to slow it down a little bit before we make that diagnosis because that phenomenon is not uncommon with COVID right? And long COVID, both. Uh, let me share with you my own personal experience with COVID. When I had COVID, I had a fever of 103 and a pulse of 70. And I saw that and I went, oh, that's not good. <laughs> There's something wrong with my heart because that we do know that, that COVID causes myocarditis. And I was thinking, God, I must have myocarditis because this, that is a pulse temperature dissociation, right? My pulse should have been 110 with a fever of 103, but it was like 74. So I kind of watched that. The other thing I noticed that is if I got up and walked, particularly if I walked up a flight of stairs, it went from 70 to 140, much like your pot syndrome, right? And I, I think my own sense was that that POTS and myocarditis is part of acute COVID. It's kind of a, at least certainly was for me. I, I'm pretty convinced of it. But I've been seeing a lot of other phenomenon, cardiac phenomenon with acute COVID that leads me to believe that's a pretty common thing. But it's not common for long haul. So the POTS that does happen with long haulers, it does happen. It's not that common. Um, but I have seen a bit of it with the vaccine. Have you talked to other people who've had the vaccine that get POTS? Yeah, it's a really common, common yeah. one. And what's yeah. interesting is when yeah. I got my vaccine, I, I tasted the shot right away. Like how you were saying that you got the yeah. chills. So immediately yeah. upon administration, I tasted it. And so that was... Yeah. kind of a red flag like oh it might have entered my circular system and a lot of the people yep. that have thoughts yep. have a similar experience isn't that interesting that's a wow. that's a really important observation right that is and, and yeah. uh huh. can i make a quick uh, observation on sure. youtube i hate to interrupt okay 
Okay, so you're seeing a lot of the the comments, the negative anti-vax comments and stuff on here. But I just want to let people know on YouTube that you're getting censored on YouTube already with those comments. They they really don't like when you say stuff like that. And we're not we're not advocating to not get the vaccine. We're just talking to somebody who had an adverse reaction to it. So and, and we're trying to make sure people are as safe as they can possibly be when they get the vaccine and that they're fully informed. And when we're they take also the trying not to get a strike for the show. So we may have to turn <laughs> off our YouTube channel and send everybody over to Facebook and Rumble and Twitch if you're going to continue to write these things. Um, it's not because we don't love you. We appreciate your your side. Um, but it's just you're already getting censored on YouTube for your comments. And I can see them on the restream, but we'd really appreciate it if you just kind of keep it to a bare uh, And somebody over on uh, Twitch was asking about, do we get the arm cleaned off? Yes, I had my arm cleaned before I got it, and I felt a systemic okay, reaction. Okay, back to the more important stuff. Um, but but um, we may, so we may have to leave YouTube. That's possible. Also, and Dr. Yo <laughs> is on Clubhouse, and he'd love to talk oh. and be of support to... Uh, Oh, we can bring Dr. Yo in. Dr. Yo has a lot of information about long hauler stuff. They've got some really interesting um, information heading their way. Um, before we go to Dr. Yo, though, uh, I wanted to finish what we, you and I were just talking about, about uh, POTS syndrome and uh, shoot. Well, why don't you describe this part where you were diagnosed with POTS? Because I interrupted you as you were saying that. Go ahead. Oh, it's all right. <laughs> um, yeah, so we did a cardiac stress test with a treadmill. And that was kind of after I got cleared of the pericarditis and then, you know, we were make sure there was no myocarditis. I was still having a lot of issues. So he put me on the stress test to see what was going on. And when I went from laying in the hospital bed to standing, my heart rate increased from like 60 beats a minute to 110, just from going from laying to standing. And so he was able to see that on the data. And then that's when they made the diagnosis for POTS. Usually they'll do that diagnosis on something called a tilt table, where they basically just change your body position and they can have your heart rate increase as you get more upright. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, once I got that diagnosis, it was really kind of sombering because he told me, hey, here's this diagnosis. Most people will feel better within 12 to 18 months of getting diagnosed, you know, it seems to go away. And he said, I can put you on medication. You can fly all around the country to find specialists and work on this whole thing. But at the end of the day, most of the people I see, it just takes time. So he's like, we yeah. just got to wait it out. Yeah. And that was when I started to really do a lot more research on POTS and found out there's a lot of people saying that it's actually an imbalance between your parasympathetic and your sympathetic nervous system. Right. So your body basically that, that isn't was regulating properly. That's what we think. That's one of the thoughts. Anyway, I'm not sure I'm totally convinced of that, but yes, that is a going hypothesis. Yes. Yeah. So I started seeing a neurotherapist um, after that mm -hmm. diagnosis, and I've actually relieved a lot of the POTS symptoms now, which has been good. really good. good. Um, yeah. Good. It's it's pretty miserable, right? I mean, you know, look, all these things are miserable. Yeah, they're they're not fun. Uh, and and I had long COVID. That wasn't fun either. And so, um, <laughs> well, and it's tough. And, and then an to athlete, have people, you know, like, oh, sorry, it's hard at the delay. I don't mean Please. to cut you off, but it's hard being an I, athlete course. too because before this whole thing, you know, I'm pro mountain bike racer. I've been a multiple national champion. I've always been a really fit guy and. I had to actually find a primary care doctor during this whole process because I hadn't been to the hospital or doctor in like over a decade with being sick or anything. Right. So it's been weird. I've had over 25, between 25 and 30 hospital visits and specialist visits in the past year. And, you know, it's just like, all I'm trying to do basically is advocate for this conversation and really ask the question, when you either 
forcefully or, or unforcefully coerce or push someone into making a medical decision and it backfires and it causes their life to change. And, you know, I haven't been able to work in five months. I haven't been able to ride a bike. I haven't had my outlet. Like what happens then? You know, there's no help. And I had a guy the other day reach out and just tell me I need to shut my mouth. And that's what the VICP, the vaccine injury program is for. And I told him, you do realize that since these are unapproved therapeutic drugs and therapeutic, you know, procedures, it's not eligible for the vaccine injury program. There is no funding currently. And there is one that they're using called the CICP, which is the payer of last resort, meaning if you have outstanding medical debt, they'll come in and try to help clean up your medical debt. But they have had over 4,000 claims filed and zero have been filled by the government. And so that was a big topic mm. at that press conference we did in DC. Um, There's a lot of people meeting with individual senators just trying to get some CICP claims filed because a lot of people are in debt, you know, $50,000, $100,000, just some diagnostics. And the guy, Doug, who was at the press conference with me, who was injured by Johnson & Johnson, he got paralyzed from transverse myelitis um, a few weeks after oh the vaccine. And then what was interesting for him is his first 30 days in the hospital cost him $1.2 million out of pocket. And so, oh, I mean, what geez. do you do in that situation? You know, and then you have people saying, oh, well, you're just the anti-vax nut job. It's like, dude, I got vaccinated because I thought I, it was, I honestly thought I was going to help other people out by doing it. And I wasn't worried. I didn't mm -hmm. fear COVID myself because I'm super athletic and have been fit my whole life, ate healthy, that whole thing. But I just tried to do my part and then it backfired big time. And, you know, now I'm just learning that a lot of the things that I was told, you know, straight off the bat that it's safe and effective period is not true completely. You know, and there was data all the way back in 2020 showing the adverse reactions that they were expecting. And it's kind of on track for what we're seeing in public. And I don't know, it's just hard when you have companies making billions and billions of dollars and not helping. That's really what I'm just trying to advocate for this conversation about. Is that right or not? Because I don't think that's right, personally. Well, and yeah, I, I would argue that you know, the vaccine reactions are still quite rare. But they do happen, and people need to be informed when they make their decision. It's why I worry about mandates. Uh, it's just you meant you open your your statement by talking about mandates, and that's really where I have my grave concerns. When you're mandating healthy people, when you make healthy people sick through your treatments, that's my profession. Right. When we take a healthy person, and we make them sick. That there better be a damn good reason for it, and there better be something in it for you, not just for other people. That's our ethical requirement. Now, I would argue there was something in it for you, uh, even though in your head you were doing it for others. I, I understand that. Uh, but somebody should have sat down with you and talked about the reality of this whole, whole situation. So what's the average age of people who get this condition? The, Is it all the, um, the average like age of vaccine. Yeah, the average age of a vaccine injured person currently before the, the rollout for children was 33 years old. That was the yeah. average age and, of an injury. Oh, no. And That's it's been dropping now. <laughs> and let, let's remind ourselves but caleb you need the vaccine my kids you have too. yeah we got it my kids we got them vaccinated caleb you have a chronic illness you need scary. you need the vaccine believe me right exactly you don't want covid is you know it's it's weighing one bad thing against another guys you don't want yeah, covid COVID's you don't no want joke. it and if you're yeah it's no bullshit and it is and it's it's real somebody asked i'm gonna go to break and we're gonna bring dr yo in here right after the break but somebody asked you know what is a vaccination I define a vaccination as anything that activates your immune system to fight off a pathogen. That's it. So Omicron might be a vaccination. Um, 
you know, BCG is an attempt at vaccination. Uh, this is a vaccination. It's just a novel mechanism of activating the immune system. Anything that takes your immune system and boosts it up to fight a pathogen, that's a vaccination as far as I'm concerned. And uh, so getting into splitting hairs about what is or is not a vaccine, I think is a, not a good use of our time. Um, okay, so I'm going to take a little break. When yeah, we get before back... you go, here's a question on Twitch. Mm -hmm. uh, I think the YouTube people are coming over to Twitch okay, to good. give their opinion, which good. is probably a good idea. Okay, good. Uh, the web person over here. Okay. Um, any info about why these rare, severe reactions are happening? Good question. Well, let's let's get to Doctor Yo. That Yo will yeah after the break. Yeah. Yo will know something about this because uh, he's got some great stuff going on with the long hauler syndrome, which is a, re a relative of what you're what's happening to you. Uh, we'll take a little break. We're here with Kyle Warner. Kyle, do you want to push any websites out or anything or or anything of uh, your no, Instagram? I'm Kyle <laughs> Warner MTB. Okay. Don't call him. It's okay. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not. Just I'm nice honestly on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just here to talk. Okay. Uh, the, those of you on Clubhouse, I see you. We'll be there with you after this break. Let's talk about our friends at Hydrolyte. I can't say enough about Hydrolyte. You hear me talk about them all the time. It gets me through workouts and medical procedures and colonoscopies and COVID. It absolutely contributed to my recovery from COVID. Hydration is key to feeling healthy, and there's never been a time when that could be more important. We're in the height of cold flu season. Every headache has got you testing for COVID. Staying hydrated can keep the questionable symptoms at bay, and there's nothing better than Hydrolyte to get it done. Taking their hydration formula one step further, now there is Hydrolyte Plus Immunity. It starts with their fast-absorbing electrolytes and adds a host of great ingredients, plus each single-serve, easy-pour drink mix contains 1,000 milligrams of vitamin C and 300 milligrams of elderberry extract. Hydrolyte Plus Immunity comes in convenient, easy-pour powder sticks that rapidly dissolve in water to make a great-tasting drink that is a 75% less sugar than your typical sports drink. It uses all-natural flavors. It's gluten-free, dairy-free, caffeine-free, non-GMO, and even vegan. Hydrolyte Plus Immunity is also now available in ready-to-drink bottles at the Walmart next to the pharmacy, or as always, you can find it by visiting hydrolyte.com slash Dr. Drew. That is H-Y-D-R-A-L-Y-T-E dot com slash Dr. Drew. And be sure to use that code Dr. Drew 25 at checkout for a special discount. Okay, we're back with Kyle Warner, and we are talking about his uh, ordeal with vaccine therapy himself. Uh, and Kyle, let's go out to our friend, Dr. Yogendra. Yo, doctor, you can follow him at Yo, Dr. Yo. The word doctor is spelled out. Uh, and Dr. Yogendra is an anesthesiologist we have been uh, connected with since uh, early days of this pandemic, and he has been actively engaged in treating long hauler syndrome. And he's here with us now off Clubhouse. Rom, welcome. Hey, Dr. Drew. Good talking to you again. So did you hear uh, Kyle's story of woe? Yes. Hi, Kyle. Hey, how's it going? Hey, um, I'm all right. I, I actually know Kyle's story because there were a couple of other people um, that were on that, uh, I think, that that conference up in D.C. a couple months ago, a couple weeks ago. So I know our team has been following Kyle. Um, I know that Bruce and I have been trying to reach out to you, Kyle, for the last couple of weeks. I know it's uh, you probably got a lot of people and we're also crazy busy. So it's good to connect with you. Um, yeah, yeah, I did, I I did hear everything. I, I, yeah, I'll, we'll, yeah hook I, you, we'll hook you guys up, Ron. Um, but, but I'm curious, you know, uh, A, is anything that you guys are observing 
and of course, I would think about the class, the, 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 you know, the spike protein in the classical monocytes or non-classical monocytes. And POTS, is there a connection there? That's my first question. Yes. Okay. What we believe is taking place is that these non-classical, so let's talk about long haul um, and the mm -hmm. S1 protein. Mm -hmm. So um, the virus has the, has the spike proteins on it. Which and they have two subunits. So there's an S protein. So when you look at the coronavirus, it's corona, it's crown. So it has an S protein and it has two subunits, S1 and S2. And that's going to be an important when we start talking about the vaccine. So the S1 is pretty much how it the virus binds to the ACE2 receptor. The ACE2, I'm sorry, the S2 protein is how it fuses and injects the genetic material. Mm -hmm. into the cell when it hijacks it. So in long haulers, what we've discovered is that the, the S1 protein from the acute phase of the, of the infection or from the virus is stuck actually in between two immune cells. And we just put this in our peer-reviewed paper, and I think I sent you the abstract, yes, Dr. Drew. Yes, you did this morning. Um, it's both the intermediate and the uh, non-classical monocytes the non-classical monocytes have an affinity to vascular tissue. And one of the things we, we know in medicine is that, as Kyle, very, you know, I, you know, one of the most interesting things about what I've learned with working with long COVID and vaccination, you know, patients with post-vax, um, persistent post-vax issues, is how incredibly knowledgeable they are and how well-researched. And, and Kyle, you did a great job explaining about the uh, the two branches of the nervous system, the sympathetic and the, and the parasympathetic. So in your body, you have the parasympathetic nervous system is what controls the rest and digest. And then the sympathetics are which control the, the uh, fight or flight responses. And so if you, if you look at the nervous system, there's the somatic nervous system, which controls voluntary movements. And then you have the autonomic nervous system, which controls involuntary movements, and hence the term autonomic, because it's sort of autonomous. And you don't consciously think to yourself, I have to breathe or I have to beat my heart. It automatically does that. And in the body, that's controlled. The, the parasympathetic arm is controlled by a nerve called the vagus nerve or cranial nerve 10. And that's what a lot of times patients are going for vagal nerve control and meditation and, and other neural activities, they're really trying to control their, um, the vagal nerve. Mm -hmm. If you look at how it's regulated in the body, any of these systems, whether it's um, cardiac or respiratory, those are the major ones. It's like a balance between your sympathetic and your parasympathetic. It's almost like a seesaw that if you have something going up, then you have the other arm of the nervous system triggering. Well, one of the things we know is the sympathetic nervous system, which controls heart rate and blood pressure. And also, like, like I said, the parasympathetic controls the heart rate through the muscarinic receptors, is that sympathetic nerves are covered with blood vessels. So blood vessels cover all sympathetic nerves. I mean, it's just something we learn in you know physiology 101 in med school, mm -hmm. that the blood vessels are going with the sympathetic nerves. And what we have described long COVID is a vascular inflammation or an endotheliolysis where there's inflammation of the cells of the blood vessels because these immune cells with the S1 protein are irritating these blood vessels. And because they are irritating now the sympathetic arm, 
we suspect that that is what's causing some of this tachycardia um, that a lot of these patients are experiencing, where in fact it's also causing some of the orthostatic hypertension drop in the blood pressure, um, these unexplained tachycardia that patients are experiencing. I mean, some of the patients, you know, we've got over 2,500 patients we've act- we are actively treating, and about 250 of them are vaccine. So let's, let's stop. Oh, 250 are vaccine-related? Yeah, 250 to 300. I just looked at the numbers, and, yeah. And so how, how would you treat, uh, again, is, I'm getting a little confused. It, when the, are all those patients people with POTS or all those people with long hauler from either COVID or vaccine? They're, they're COVID or, COVID or, or um, vaccine. the vaccine. Okay, yeah. so and POTS is one of the syndromes you're treating amongst that population, yes? Uh, yes, it's yeah. it's... It's probably, I would say, in our long haul community, in our long haul court, it's probably about forty to fifty percent. Okay. Um, and and in our vax numbers, it's probably about fifty, about fifty to sixty percent are pots. And and given that the underlying mechanism is this persistent uh, spike protein S one stuck in the monocytes, preventing apoptosis and causing them to go to the lining of the arteries and. I forget the mechanism, the CCR5, CCL mechanism that, that you know, is causing inflammation. What's the solution? What, what, what are you guys looking at as solving this? Well, you know, what we're trying to do is reset the immune system. And because what's happening is there's immune dysregulation taking place, mm-hmm. meaning it's almost like looking at a chessboard and seeing all the chess pieces are just not in places they're not supposed to. So what we, what we, our approach is resetting the, sort of resetting the chessboard. And I think it's a little bit, um, you know, I, I think if we said that our approach is 100% of the solution, I think, you know, we are just getting too far ahead of ourselves mm-hmm. when, when I say that. I think what we're doing is resetting the immune system. We are, we're, we're putting out the fire. And then we're wow. the next phase. Well, this, this by Moravirac and that kind of thing? Moravirac and the statin is... Okay. So, I, so talk about those treatments. And should the question for Kyle would that help him? Do we think? Uh, absolutely. I'll show you guys. And I'll, I'll talk about the vaccine. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So one of the other things that I've been having, just kind of this chronic inflammation, especially in my joints. I was mm-hmm. dealing with a lot of joint mm-hmm. pain, and I ended up going to. So I did a four day fast, and that actually resolved a lot of my symptoms. And then I went to a food allergist mm-hmm. to see if I had sensitivities or something weird causing this chronic pain, mm-hmm. and they tested my IgE level, which is at 883 and a normal one is below 115. And then like, this is my food allergy back panel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that was my okay. food allergy so you, back so panel and my environmental allergy. And, and again, I, when I look at that, I think to myself, that may not be about the food. That may just be about the mast cell hyperreactivity. Yeah, exactly. You, so that words, was they when have, they kind of diagnosed reacted to everything. Yeah, yeah, they diagnosed me with the mast cell activation syndrome because I tested on a the highest level possible on every single thing we tested. And then they started doing my blood mm-hmm. test for food. And I was positive on pretty much mm-hmm. all foods now. So I'm on a really limited diet and that's helping my chronic inflammation. But it's just weird how it triggered like my entire Holy immune system mackerel. to have inflammatory responses. And then also now if I like, I've been trying to do a few small hikes, like two to three mile hikes, really low pace. And then my heart will be kind of inflamed and burning for a few days after and I give it a few days to rest then I can try again but I mean I used to be a guy who could mm-hmm. do a five or six hour bike ride no problem and now like a two mile wow. hike my heart is done for a few days so it's just this weird inflammatory cascade I'm fighting 
So let's talk about uh, Rom as though Kyle's not here. Uh, he had an asthma history. It is, are you seeing patterns like that in people getting immune, immune hyperactivity? From, from the vaccine? From the vaccine or the COVID. No. no. Yeah, I mean, with, with COVID, you know, yeah, with, again, with the long haulers, no, they're usually healthy. They're a much younger cohort of patients, mm -hmm. of the long COVID patients. The vaccine, you know, I just, we're about to put our vaccine paper out in about a week. Um, the, where we're going to show the S1 pro, or the, the spike protein from the vaccine is, it's, it's a mechanism paper where we're going to show just like we did with the second peer reviewed paper that the S1 protein, which we suspect most likely is coming from the vaccine is being retained in intermediate and non-classical monocytes, right, meaning right. that in a small group of patients, at least the ones we've been testing, um, we are creating long haulers with the vaccine. Right. Now, the real encouraging thing is that they're really responding well to these um, medications. Yeah. I cannot comment on how rare or not rare it is. I don't have those numbers. Mm -hmm. Our, you know, uh, yes, we have about 250 to 300 of these patients, but there is no way, um, you know, there's, there's, there's bias here because these are patients seeking us out for treatment. So I, we're not commenting, commenting on numbers we mm -hmm. don't know mm -hmm. i suspect it's rare but i don't even know i, I can't even comment i'm not going to go anywhere near that right. all we're doing is showing a mechanism and what was what was interesting is just like we did on the second paper we used flow cytometry confirmed that it was s1 we screened the patients to make sure that they never had covid before we did that with negative pcr and we also measured negative, um, they had negative nucleocapsid, which is a type of protein that's found in the virus. And if you have antibodies to it, that means you've been exposed to COVID at some point. Mm -hmm. Now, it's not 100% because there are patients with positive COVID tests that have had negative, negative nucleocapsid. Mm -hmm. So it's the only tool we had at our disposal to at least have some sort of screening. And that is a limitation and will be a criticism in the paper, but one we can't, that's what, you know, right. the nature of it. Right. Um, but what we did was all those patients, we found the S1, we then put them through mass spec and we confirmed the peptide sequencing. So basically we looked on a, on a very deep, molecular level, we actually looked at the S1 and identified the S1 protein. Now, the interesting thing, I don't know if Bruce, we talked about this the last time we were on with you, Dr. Drew, but the, the one thing we found with the post-vaccine people that we didn't find with the long haulers was that we found mutant S1 and we found S2 proteins. In so the monocytes. Is, in the monocytes. That's weird. Yeah. So what does it mean when you say a mutant S1? Meaning that the, their amino acid sequences hmm. um, in, in, some of these, in some of these patients that they are, the, the amino acids are different than what it's supposed to be, what the S1 is usually coding for. Hmm. We don't know what the implications are for that. It could be an absolute nothing burger, mm -hmm. but it could be making like antibodies that are maybe if you want to call them defective or you know, uh, I don't know. We, we, we don't even know. We don't even know what that means. And it's very hard for us to comment on it because we're still trying to get an understanding. It might be the just other, some weird post-transcriptional It could be. Yeah, nothing. Absolutely. Yeah. It could be just that. And yeah. then and then we have the S2 protein, which, yeah. we, again, 
we, we don't know what it is. We're thinking maybe they were coding for the entire S protein in mm-hmm. these vaccines and they're, we are picking up the S, S2. But interestingly, we didn't see this in our long haul patients. There were 46 that we tested. We didn't find the mutant S1 or the S2 in the, in the long COVID never been vaccinated group. Mm-hmm. So, um, so now that these monocytes are in there, uh, all these S proteins, what we're finding is that the combination of Moravrac and statin, and the right. same mechanism with the statins are blocking fractal kind, which act Velcro, so it, those immune cells don't stick to vascular tissue. Mm-hmm. And then CR5 receptors on them are able to pull those thing, those immune cells with the Moravrac. It's almost like a magnet. You're pulling them away from sites of infection. And the interesting thing is we are also detecting this in the intermediate monocytes, which is another class of immune cells, and they also express CCR5. Hmm. So, um, so usually the, the never had COVID vaccine reaction patients with that is usually about six to eight, eight weeks of medications. Uh, of the, of the, and would you ever just take somebody like uh, Kyle and just put them on a statin? Just start yes. with that. Yeah. There, there are people from, from you know, I get a lot of calls overseas from people. Yeah. And they don't have access to Moravrac or lab testing. I just say, look, just go straight on a on a statin and a, and a baby aspirin. Because the two markers, and, and we're going to write, you know, in our paper, we're going to comment on this. Across the board, what we're seeing is elevations in SCD40L, which is a platelet activator, mm-hmm. RANTES, which is a sign of obviously some vascular inflammation and activation of pro-inflammatory macrophages. Mm -hmm. And very interestingly, our cohort of patients, our average age was 40.1 years old. So, you know, a younger patients, heavily more women, 72% of our cohort was 70 or a women, 28% are men. Um, the And so most of the symptoms are more neurological. So brain fog, um, neuro- peripheral neuropathy, headaches are, are going to be some of the major ones, and tachycardia. Um, we've seen that about 60-70% of our patients. Mm. And the, interestingly, the some of the ones with neurological symptoms, are we're seeing a correlation with TNF-alpha. And mm. There is literature that su- su- suggests that TNF-alpha can cause some neuroinflammation. So we're definitely seeing picking up on that and also picking up IL-6, interleukin-6 elevations. So, so and- let's just quickly, though. T- <laughs> yeah, Kyle, I, I'm Kyle. like, okay, okay. Hey, Dr. Yeah, I think I know what you're saying. Andrew. Kyle, go ahead. Yeah. yeah. Um, so one thing I wanted to say is that Brianne, who's the lady who's kind of heading up this whole REACT-19 group, which is the organization that... I'm a part of, I guess it's this giant support group and they're doing a lot of research on vaccine injury. Um, She had a lot of the neuropathy and neuro issues as far as like tinnitus and sensitivity to light. And one of the things that really helped her a lot has been um, IVIG, so intravenous immunoglobulin. And that's been one thing that she's been doing a lot of. And then also one of the guys who had another really bad bout of neuropathy, he just sent his um, blood tests off to Germany. And I don't know if you'll be able to see this, but they did an auto. You might not be able to see this. I'll send it to you later so you guys yeah. can show it later on. But it's um auto okay. antibody test. And they were showing basically mm-hmm. the ACE2 antibodies were super high. And then also uh, muscarin and a few other different antibodies that attack your own body. So I think there's a few different mechanisms at action. And definitely one could be that um, spike protein being present in the monocytes. And then another one could potentially be 
the auto antibody is basically your own body just attacking itself constantly and kind of out of sorts, like you said. Yeah, Kyle, and, and that's a great that's a great point. Um, you know, one of one of the interesting things that I one of the things I'm interested in is if, if look one of the things Bruce has talked about is an auto antibodies or mm -hmm. these uh, when you measure it in laboratory medicine when you have inflammation and I've talked to a few other immunologists and, and people from the lab side of medicine the the assays get very sticky. Well, let me so, let me just let me mm -hmm. specify what you mean. The, the notion of autoantibodies is a complicated and not well worked out and not standardized area at all. Okay. Uh, and so it's hard to even understand what we're seeing when we when you talk about that. Would that be a way to summarize it, Ram? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and when you're dealing with inflammation, Dr. Drew and it's, Kyle- It's all over the place. It's like, it's like a shotgun. Place. It's like everything gets going and we don't know what that- you have to really get terribly specific about the physiology. And, you know, say, saying there's autoantibodies flying around, like, okay, as opposed to saying there's a monocyte that is prevented from dying that causes it to stick on the lining of, a, of an artery and oxidize and damage that lining. Huh. That's a very specific mechanism. And so maybe we can direct a really specific treatment. So in medicine, we're always looking for these very specific biochemistries so we can target what we're doing. And, and so, you know, autoantibodies, back in my, before Dr. Yogender was trained, when I was trained, we would deal with those by steroids. You just put somebody on steroids <laughs> to suppress the autoantibodies. And that's not useful. <laughs> that's not a good thing. Yeah. It's a bad thing. They've tried to so, get so that's, so much. There you go. And that that's where that kind of goes because it is such a literally a shotgun uh, finding and a shotgun approach to treatment. Always much better where you can get really, really narrow in the biology. Ram, am I overstating it? Uh, you're 100%. You're 100% yeah. right, Dr. Drew. You know, with, again, one one of the things is I would be interested to see if we are able to lower inflammation right. using the Moravirac and statin. Right. Then we go and measure the blood work. And I say right. that, I'll be interested to see what those autoantibodies show. And I'm, right. I'll say that because we've got hundreds and hundreds of patients in our yeah. program, long haulers, not the vaccine. So I can't comment on the vaccine group yet because we haven't had had the data yet. But in a long haul, we had many, many patients that came to us and said, I've been told I have positive ANA, positive double-stranded DNA, positive, right. you know, right. rheumatoid factor, all, right. all, all, all these other things. Yeah. And my doctor said, I got to be on these uh, immunosuppressives and whatnot. We reset their immune system. They came back three months later. All the autoantibodies were negative. Right. I think so, I think that because her. because you're going at sort of the root cause rather than the the amplified outcome that that's spraying all over the body, and it's interesting. I would argue that if you actually trigger a disease like lupus, if that's what's being suggested, that then that probably is a different situation and might actually need some sort of specific treatment for the lupus. But I'm very suspect about, I've not seen any of that. I'd be very suspect about it. But listen, guys, we, we are getting deep in the weeds. I want to try to pull back a little bit and get some more <laughs> questions from the clubhouse and whatnot. Um, but but I what I like is that I feel like, Kyle, I hope you will get in touch with these guys. And it's very simple yeah. maneuvers might have some real significant benefit for you. Um, I'm trying to think of there's anything else, been... Ram, I want to get from you. Want to talk about your your uh, publication coming it's coming up? up? Yeah, he's. Are you, what day what day are you releasing it? The the Vax paper or the one you talked to me? You sent me this morning. 
Oh, the uh, the S. Oh, the yeah, um, the S one. That, that's that's the that's the second paper with the S one where we we discovered the S one protein in the non classicals that just got accepted on December sixth. We should have the abstract is online. It's on my Twitter page, and that will be. We are expecting that in probably in about two weeks. Um, that we should have the full paper. They're just doing the final. Uh, editing of the graphs and finalizing a few other things. And, but and, and people are asking on my chat stream here very quickly, what are the mechanisms of Moravarac and statin? What is that going at? So statin, so again, if you if you think about the, like the garbage truck analogy I've used before, it's garbage trucks with uh, particles in it from the, the virus in long hauls and with the vaccine. And what we're doing is what, what statins do those, those garbage trucks stick to blood vessels like a Velcro. And what statins do, and this could be any statin, um, everyone tolerates them very differently, but what it does is like putting a piece of paper between Velcro. So it's preventing those immune cells from sticking to blood vessels. So what Moravarac does is there's a receptor called CCR5 on those garbage trucks, and Moravarac's like a magnet that pulls these immune cells away. And when they pull them away, what we're actually seeing our initial thought process was, well, you know what, maybe we need to add an anti-inflammatory like an ivermectin or fluvoxamine or low-dose steroid. Mm -hmm. Very interestingly, we're actually seeing that Moravrec might be also, by pulling those immune cells away from the uh, vascular tissue, the functionality of those monocytes, those senescent, meaning that they're not undergoing cell death, they're just persisting with this with these particles inside of it, they're no longer having their function. Their function is taken away. So they are undergoing apoptosis. So they're able, so to, they're, they're able to go through their normal life cycle and die, essentially. Ex and again, again, exactly. it's this idea of the monocyte sticking to the lining of the arteries, and that's where the inflammation is occurring. I, you know, we, it, the, these days we think, you know, you talked about one kind of inflammation, Kyle, which is your joints getting inflamed, something attacking the lining mm -hmm. of the joints. Very different kind of inflammation that we're talking about here, which I think is where the conversation about inflammation in the future will focus, which is what LDL does for some people, what insulin does for some people. It really causes oxidative stress on the on the artery itself. Am I again? Am I getting that right, Ron? No, one hundred percent, Doctor Drew. Yeah. It's you know this is a sort of a very different man. When we think of inflammation, yeah. it's not just one. You know, there's so many different pathways. Right, right. I, I want to make one other quick point because Kyle brought up his food intolerance and and the mast cell activation mm -hmm. taking place, and and that is something that we've seen you know with with tons of long haul patients and even with with some of the vax vaccine patients. Very interestingly, Ranties. And I posted this on Twitter a couple of weeks, about a week or two ago. Rantes actually can trigger mast cells. It's so interesting that we started this conversation a year ago about Rantes, and here we are back with Rantes <laughs> and now fractal kind again. It's so interesting that, that some you you, you yeah. somehow knew back then that Rantes was a key piece in all this. Remember those? We, we, we just keep on looking. We just keep on looking at the literature. You know, we yeah yeah. Sorry, go ahead, Kyle. Oh, I was just going to say, imagine where we would all be if we had open discourse. I know, I know, you know that's why we're talking about it. I know, I know. You may lose the YouTube channel, but who cares? I, I, it's exactly why we're here talking. I, that's that's the crazy thing to me. Hey, every but, time Ram's on, we lose a, we get a strike. So <laughs> we, <laughs> well, we, we're scared about, you know, honestly, we're a little bit terrified about putting out this paper. And we are, we're 100%, we're full steam ahead. But I'll, I'll be honest with you, we are a little bit nervous because 
we are afraid of is like this is a mechanism paper that it's going to be turned around and we've already started getting attacked oh about yeah well that's part of that's what peer review is that's part of that process so get ready but just to put it out there and discuss it and yeah. we're not telling anyone to do xyz with the vaccines yeah. or do, we're just like look we found this we found this mechanism you guys figure out the epidemiology behind it yeah we don't know but yeah. this is an interesting finding but we're getting we know we're going to get torn to shreds but it's the truth. It's what we found. We're not going to hide behind it, but it's coming. We know it's going <laughs> to. So, Drew, I have yeah. a little tidbit of information. Ram is a spiritual man. What happened? His birthday is twelve twenty one twenty one. So maybe he'll put out the paper that day because apparently that's the end of the, the last I, day. I, I the, just am interested that it's supposed to exist on that Earth, it's one so. day before your birthday. I know. And are we supposed to make something of twelve twenty two twenty two next year? Uh, is that going to be a special year? You better, gosh darn it! But Ram is a twelve twenty one twenty one baby this well, year, birthday. so you have to yeah. So if the paper comes out on that day, maybe it's a already new beginning. It's, it's out. It's out. It's already out? Uh, or oh. it's been accepted, and so it'll be out shortly. Yeah, I want to uh, know when. Well, Rom, thank you for stopping by. I'm going to try to get some other calls here. Um, yep. But as so always... Dr. Dren, and, and, and just let Kyle, Susan, if you want to give Kyle my cell phone, I can talk to him. We'll connect. Great. You got it. Great. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah. Thank, thank you so much for all your doing. You got it. Oh, yeah. He's really... I mean, those two have just been on it, on it, on it. And they're helping. I have lots of people now... I don't know if anybody's on the thread. Maybe if you if you are one of his patients that has been helped. I, sometimes you guys are here on the restream. Um, Caleb, look for one of those uh, stories on the restream here. We can post it on the screen. Uh, let's try to get to some calls here. Uh, I'm calling people up. You'll be streaming on multiple platforms if you come up. Citizen, you're you're muted. There you are. Hi. Hello. Yes. Thank you, Doctor Drew. Mm -hmm. um, I really want to thank Kyle for sharing his story. Um, I agree with one of the last things he said about discourse. It's just so frightening because um, it, it's hard to talk about these kinds of things. In fact, at one point I was was avoiding talking about it just because of how political everything mm -hmm. has become. Uh, but uh, I, I've been following Dr. Patterson, Dr. Malone, uh, Dr. Yugendra uh, for a while now because um, back in uh, late March, early April, I took the uh, Johnson vaccine, uh, doing it because I wanted to get back, get my life uh, moving uh, forward, uh, taking vaccines before, never really had any bad reactions to anything except for Sloxin a long time ago. Uh, and I didn't have any really problems. It was kind of interesting for the first two to three weeks. Um, and then all of a sudden, I started to have some uh, pains in the gut. I started having some weird things happen uh, down there that I'd never seen before. They didn't last very long. Then it progressed to these like, pains, you know, sh uh, random shooting pains around. But what has happened for me that is still persisting to this day um, is uh, buzzing in my like hands and feet and lips and mm -hmm. mouth. Um, and yeah, that's common. basically, that's really I've common. been told. And I, you, you also mentioned something, Kyle, that I also can relate to that I didn't realize was a possible symptom is some uh, sensitivity to light, mm -hmm. um, because I have noticed that a bit uh, with me uh, as well, and also uh, some uh, tinnitus uh, with the the ear ringing uh, stuff has has definitely. It's not terrible. It's not like 
you know, or I can't stand it, but it's there. Um, anyway, uh, there's two things that I was interested in. He needs in to head over to covidlonghaulers.com. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, I, I, I you know, I, uh, I, or I, like, I heard you guys talking and, and uh, Dr. Yogendra, um, uh, but I think they were saying that they're like, it's, it's so hard for them to get uh, new people in because it's, uh, um, you know, uh, such demand, uh, you know, so yeah, there's such demand They're for pretty it. busy, but they, yeah, but they are the, getting thing. people in, they are getting them in. I mean, we can, you know, but I did get, I did show your show because I saw them on your show, uh, uh, recently, uh, which brought me to the attention of your show, which I'm glad I found as well. Um, and, uh, I played a little sec- segment where Dr. Yvonne talked about, just put him on a statin. Mm-hmm. And so my doctor actually agreed to do that. Uh, cool. he was, he was a little bit unclear about the Marivarac, mm-hmm. uh, uh, connection, the CCR five, mm-hmm. uh, scenario. But yep. anyway, um, he, he said he would, uh, would look into it. But the two things that I was curious about is one of the things I was initially told is, oh, it'll go away eventually. Mm-hmm. And my concern with that first question is, that um, I, do I want this inflammation just to continue, uh, uh, you know, f- uh, you know, on and on and on and on, because right. it doesn't seem to really abate at all. Um, yeah. And the second thing is that even though I'm not anti-vax, uh, say that up front, uh, um, this is not medical advice, but I am very concerned about putting more uh, vaccine into my system, sure. uh, at this point. And my doctor has not said, I really need to do it. He's not worried about my, good. Uh, you guys you know, are you dealing guys, with COVID. If I you guys to. make that decision together, that's right. your guy's decision. It's a hard decision. It's an interesting one, but you make that together. But what, what I'm curious on that second side of it was just if, if, if I am suffering from this, uh, S, you know, rogue S1 mm-hmm. protein that's mm-hmm. cruising around the monocytes and then epithelial layer and mm-hmm. causing vascular inflammation, yeah. wouldn't I, by putting more of that in my system, be enhancing that problem? Because I have seen mm-hmm. f- from what I'm dealing with compared to what Kyle is dealing with is completely different. I mean, if I had to live with buzzing in my hands and feet, uh, and lips and mouth, I could live with that. You know, I I wouldn't want to yeah. have to you know go unfortunately through what he he's gone through. And because I'm a fairly normal person, getting medical attention and stuff, I'm lucky. I have a nice doctor that that listens to me and such. But I mean, it's hard to do because a lot of these therapeutics that people are talking about, you can't even do that mm-hmm. if you're in if if anything right. would happen. Right. So anyway, I'll, I'll go right. ahead and mute now. So okay. Okay. Susan, really quick. Yeah. Um, Doctor Yo is texting me. Okay. He said, "Reach out to nursing at immunotrack.org. That's I M M U N O. Text that. To, text that to uh, Caleb, and I want him to put it up on the full yeah, screen. Yeah, because they. It, that's that's his nurses, and they'll get you. Onboarded yeah. immediately. It's nursing at immunotrack.org. And citizen, take a look at the screen. We're going to put that up in just a second. Kyle, you wanted to say? Yeah. So one yeah, thing I just said, wanted to say. Yeah. On, send them over. Oh, send them over. Go ahead. Yeah. One thing I wanted to say Kyle. on regards to a second question is, you know, you're seeing in Europe they're pulling the Moderna vaccine for people under 30 years old. Um, a lot of people that are having the more aggressive immune response. And earlier we talked about mRNA and the dosage. So Pfizer has 30 micrograms of RNA and the Moderna has 100 micrograms of RNA. And you are seeing, at least in Europe, a higher incidence of um, issues with the vaccine injury with the Moderna, which kind of points to the fact that if you have two Moderna doses, that's 200 micrograms of RNA that your body is going to try to produce. 
And if you have two Pfizer's, that's two times 30, which is 60 total. So the, the mm -hmm. less amount of spike protein that your body's producing, it seems like you have a lower chance of having that reaction. So I thought that was really interesting. And then the children's um, vaccine is 10 micrograms of RNA. So one third the dose mm -hmm. of the Pfizer. So I just thought that might be interesting for him to, seems like the more RNA you have, the more likely you are to have a reaction. Yeah, yeah, it's at which like makes sense, right? That's the way it is um, mm. with most, you know, most uh, therapeutics or most medication. <laughs> yeah. uh, Angela, let's bring you on up here. Uh, Angela, go right ahead. Hey there. Hi, Dr. Drew. Hi, Angela. Kyle. I just want to send you a lot of love, Kyle. Hey. I was supposed to be there with you um, at the Capitol speaking. I'm a nurse for 23 years, uh, ER mm -hmm. trauma, pediatrics. Mm -hmm. I'm working in the San Francisco area, and I had the exact same react as you. I was taken away by ambulance at the 12 minute mark um, with extreme tachycardia. And I am also part of the Patterson research. So Good. they looked at my non-classical mono monocytes. I was the second person that they investigated. And I think they were really surprised to find how much S1 I had in my non-classical monocytes. Mm -hmm. About mm -hmm. 23%. And so they immediately put me on the medications and um, I was able to clear my S1 in about nine weeks on the meds mm -hmm. and my pot symptoms were horrible. I was bed bound for days. Like there was days where I had to crawl to the bathroom about four days. I couldn't get out of bed because my heart rate would go from 50 to 150 just by standing mm -hmm. and literally had to be on the floor to try and make it to the restroom. Um, what did you imagine was going on? I mean, you're a nurse, you probably, your head kicked in, I'm sure. Well, yeah. I mean, I was I, being a nurse for so long and I'm connected yeah. with, you know, the best of the best hospitals yeah. at UCSF yeah. and Stanford. I was tested, diagnosed. I had a tilt test. I was diagnosed with hyperagenic. So I knew what was going on. I just didn't know how to help myself how to get out of the mess. Mm -hmm. And it's very scary. Um, I'm a dancer as well. I'm fit. Um, so now I had my vaccine really early on being a nurse. I had it back in January. And so I'm approaching my year mark and I do mm. not have the pots anymore. It's, it's gone. And so I just want to give you, Kyle, hope um, as well as other people that it does get better. And, um, you know, the, just keep on trying with treatments. I've done other things too, like low dose naltrexone. You know, when you're a vaccine mm. Um, when these things happen to you with the vaccines, you try all sorts of different things, right. but I, I, I was able to clear all my spike. My cytokine panel was completely abnormal. I had elevated RANTs. I had elevated, um, SCD4OL and, um, now I've had a repeat cytokine panel and it's completely normal. So, so, so what I, were you treated? What, what do you think was the effect of treatment? Do you have any sense? Um, well, I did start getting after I did the... I was put on a statin. I was put mm -hmm. on Maraviroc. Mm. Um, I did a little bit of ivermectin. Um, I I did LDN as well. Um, I also went on anti-inflammatory diet. I had mast cell issues. Um, so I just kind of hit it at all angles. I, I did everything. I just cut my diet down like Kyle. Mm. I did fasting. Um, so I think Crazy. all of it combined. But um, and And there were... In times where I, you know, was calling Yo and Bruce crying. I mean, they, they know me really well. 
and I I have their cell phone numbers and I'd cry and ask them, you know, daily, am I going to die? Am I going to die? Mm. Um, so it's very, it's very, very scary, but there is light at the end. Um, things do get better and the relapses get shorter and shorter good. and your good days longer and longer. So, so there's, there's um, hope. Susan's mic isn't on, but I hear her reacting to all these <laughs> stories. Do you want to say something? I'm like, meh. She, she's like crying. and then Oh, I know. I was tearing up earlier. Yeah. Just breaks my heart. Well, yeah, it's thanks crazy. For, but, thanks but for Angela, sharing that, Angela. I, yeah, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I, really I wish I could have gotten and, to meet you, but actually. Finish, Kyle. Finish your thought. I had my stall oh, to be presented sorry. before I um, was to be there with you and they wanted to do my cardiologist is so protective over me i've had multiple stress echoes and um, echocardiograms and the week before i was supposed to fly out to washington i had to get another two cardio just to double and that's the thing pericarditis and it's not just a one and done you right. are being followed for right. months and months that's and right. months and months i mean the real, the real like, problems we worry about are, could be way down the line right you could all of a sudden you know, it's not an easy thing yeah. we're just treated with a you know with anti-inflammatories and you're right. and you're over it yeah. you have to look closely so my doctors wouldn't let me get on the plane yeah i get to it go so was there. this from COVID or the vaccine no this was from the vaccine so i had Moderna. i i'm also okay. like kyle i'm very fit and healthy and so i did it to go back to work to help the frontline workers deal with COVID mm -hmm. um because you know we were in california it was a real crisis at the time we our hospitals were full um, they made a huge mistake of sending prisoners from Southern California to Northern California, got our San Quentin fully infected. Um, so we were in a crisis and I wanted to be um, working in the ER, helping the ER nurses. And so mm -hmm. I got my vaccine for that reason. So mine was on January 19th. And, um, mm. and I didn't do it for myself. I did it for my patients and I did it for... Um, the people at risk. And, and to be fair, I, you, you had a lot to be gained in the per personally because you were going to go into the trenches and you needed to be vaccinated. I mean, you really exactly. And but, I was literally hospitalized tw at, tw at the 12 minute mark. I, I collapsed hmm. and had about five hospitalizations in the two months following. So, so let, let's answer a question that citizen asked that I not yet answered. And that has been flying around for Kyle as well. And you sort of tilted at it when you said it gets better. We, we don't know what the time course is, but it looks like, and we can't guarantee it is so, but it looks like 18 months, you know, 12 to 18 months, people seem to pull out of this, whether it's long COVID or vaccine-related reaction, and especially, I think, the vaccine group. Would you agree with that assessment, Angela? Yeah, I think we're all on a different path. I think... Um, you know, just what I notice is those first four to six months are really difficult. And what's really hard is you have days or weeks where you're better. And then all of a sudden it's ripped out from underneath you right. and you're flat on your back again. And right. that's really discouraging. Yeah, this, but, it's, I will but, tell you from a mental health standpoint, that that is one of the things that drive humans crazy. And you've probably seen this, Angela, people walking in the ER with labyrinthitis. With, with labyrinthitis, it goes, it goes up and it goes down over two weeks and then it comes back and it comes back. Yeah, yeah. And when it comes back, that's when people lose their minds because <laughs> it feels they like, because immediately the thought process is it's never going away. I'm going to be like this forever. And so the recurrences become more traumatic than the, even the original outbreaks. But it, exactly. it, it, but it's it, it does like get better. Other, 
Yeah, the disease, it's like breaking your arm. You know, if you break your arm, you know you're going to recover right. and get better, which I did break my arm a couple of years ago. You have this trajectory, you know you're going to continually get better. Um, but when you have, when you are, when you feel so horrible and then you get better and you go back to that horrible right. place, it's, yeah, it's really it's, mentally it's, it, yeah, it's rough. taxing on you. But, but then what ends up happening is your days get longer of getting better. Yeah. Your relapses get shorter. That's right. And, um, and everybody's different. So I don't, you know, there's some, yeah. I've seen some people heal at three to four months. I've seen some people at 12 months where they're still really struggling. I'm yeah. at 11 months. So it's all very different. We're all we all have different bodies, but and uh, um, you are not in a normal age group to be breaking your arm. So I must ask, what happened? <laughs> I I had a seven. I have a well. My daughter was seven, and I was roller skating, and I um, fell. With the, so, you had a a, a radial fracture landing on your hand. Um, I had a I had a collie's fracture. Yeah, a collie's oh, fracture. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. Yeah. So, Andrew, yeah. Drew, to go to your point too, Kyle. Um, yeah. Just your point with like the 12 to 18 month thing. I think it's so dependent yeah. on how severe your injury is as well, because, you know, like my friend Maddie true, and Doug and Suzanne, yeah. we're all partially or fully paralyzed. Now they're, it's not going to change in 18 yeah, months. Well, yeah, well, transverse myelitis, transverse myelitis is next order shit. <laughs> transverse myelitis yeah. is something that just happens with all vaccines. And let me explain what it is. It's literally where your immune system attacks your brain at the source of the cervical spine sometimes almost mid, you know, uh, brainstem, and you become quadriplegic potentially, or at least partially quadriplegic. It is a horrible, dreaded, worst possible case reaction to any vaccine, and it's a well-known vaccine complication. So yeah. th that's not the group we're talking about, to be fair. Yeah, uh, Maddie I, as no, well. Maddie is, it's the same you people. know, that's a, that's yeah. a whole different... People. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it, it's, it's, it, I understand, but that... This treatment we've been talking about, transverse myelitis is a, a specific thing. Remember I earlier was saying, if you triggered lupus, you probably need treatment for the lupus. Same thing is true as transverse myelitis. That's a disease state. It needs its own treatment above and beyond all this other stuff we're talking about. So That's why I, I would wish, I, I wish that they would research Maddie because that is horrific. I'm, horrific. It's one of the things I'm most angry about. Mm. Um, she is not she's not getting better and it, they are not no. transverse myelitis guys i've seen a lot of it over the and years also, it, it, it's it's not it's not cool what is that I, I, they, again, also it's, drew it's, it's was, this immune attack on your cervical spine and you become like quadriplegic yeah. it's really bad and, and like any nerve damage once it's real done it's done go ahead kyle i'm sorry and, no it's okay um Thank one thing that was interesting too is that after i kind of had my breakdown moment you know i was just so beat down from people talking shit and feeling like crap. And then also going to DC and seeing that no one cares really. Yeah. When I stepped yeah. away on Instagram, then they started attacking the other people in the group more. And so Maddie and her mom mm. had a really bad day the other day. We're like crying and people oh, are I'm wishing so this 13 year old, they're wishing for a 13 year old to die <laughs> oh because she isn't, oh she's God. counter narrative, you know, it's counter narrative. And then you have people saying what that she's faking it, she's trying to get famous. It's like oh, people were telling Maddie, you yeah. know what? This wasn't from the vaccine. It's because you got in a car accident. It's like, no, she was in the clinical trial mm. for Pfizer. You know, I mean, how much more, how much more she was in data do you need? What is wrong with people? Yeah. Well, I mean, they disgusting. haven't even diagnosed her. That's the thing. If they would have diagnosed her with transverse myelitis, she right now is diagnosed as a stomach ache. She's got, you know, they, they, they haven't even officially diagnosed her because mm. they don't want to write 
Yeah, they don't want to recognize what her what her injuries are. So she doesn't even have an official diagnosis because they won't recognize her. And that's infuriating if, oh, you so know, sad. it's it's really, really sad. It's, well, it's, it's sad not okay. to me that, that we can't do our job, Angela. You know, we can't just be practicing clinical medicine anymore. We have to be worried about all this political uh burden and, and, and luggage baggage <laughs> bullshit that comes along with it all and uh, it, i'm and glad it, go ahead it shouldn't be political at all no, medicine should no, never, never involve politics and as a nurse what makes me the most upset is i've always practiced where we give risk benefit right we let people yes. know we give them informed consent yes. and if something goes wrong we are transparent about it yes. we never lie so when you have a child that is injured and damaged, you take care of that child and you get them help and you don't ignore them. You don't gaslight them. And then the other thing is I believe I am, I'm, you know, I have family members that are vaccinated. I have lots of friends and nurses that are vaccinated. It's okay for people to go get the vaccine, but there needs to be informed consent. And a lot of the data that was in the clinical trials wasn't yeah. disclosed. I didn't know about Maddie. Yeah, Angela, you, you may have missed the early, early part of our conversation where I was going off on this exact issue. I, I, I don't know how long you've been practicing, but I, I, I can't imagine what happened. 23 about, years. Yeah. I, you know, I've got 40 now under my belt and it, and it's, what has happened to our profession? I just, I just can't, I can't even imagine this. This is the most astonishing thing in the world. And, and I have a, my father was a family practitioner, and I have him in my head, just going, what, what? What's happening? How is this possible? He's been gone a long time, but this would have killed him again. And yeah. uh, I would have it, loved to know that going into this vaccine that. Maddie was injured, that Brie yeah. was injured, that yeah. 266 look, people dropped out of AstraZeneca. I, I, look, I, I would have I, loved to have known that. I, and, really and, I, that and, I, I, and I do have a pretty good sense of the landscape of the potential harm of vaccine. And yet I'm considering going in for another booster. I, I'm, I'm, but, but, but if something happens to me, I'm not going to blame anybody. I, yeah, you're right now. I'm thinking more Pfizer today after hearing the conversation. <laughs> yeah, I need a big load. But, yeah, I would. Uh, but it's, I would not blame only, anybody. I would just think, well, on me, I made the, the wrong decision. Only a half. But it, uh, but you guys, out, right? the uh, booster is half, but this wouldn't technically be a booster. This would be the second part of a Moderna vaccine. So a just, little different. Nobody's going to know that. It's on paper. You just get that little card. And oh, I see what you're saying. <laughs> I actually want the protection, too, if I'm going to go through that risk. You're fine. But, <laughs> well, Angela, uh, yeah. I hope you I get to, to. I have to I, take care of Dr. Drew. I, I'm, I'm looking at this great picture of you at the beach. I hope you get to go back to the beach and whatever it is that... Uh, you know, you and family get to do and, and re return to a normal living, that which is really what we're all looking for here. Yeah, feel free, Kyle, too, to reach out to me, too. I can give you more information about specifics yeah. of what I had to go through and what I did. So feel free to shoot me a message. I think we're friends on Instagram, and I'd be more than happy to help you oh, out good. with some other things. Good. All right, Angela, yeah. thank yeah. you for thank dropping you. by. Right. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Bye-bye. Uh, and Kyle, thank you for uh, coming forward and telling your story and, and suffering the slings and arrows that come with that. I'm having uh, an anxiety attack. Well, <laughs> why are you having an anxiety yes, attack? Damn, because well, it's complicated. Well, it's, you know, like look, it's complicated. It's complicated. Because that's right. That's I, yeah, exactly I mean, right. there's a lot of people that are having anxiety attacks about this whole thing because it feels like there's a no win. You know, you have COVID, which you don't want to get. No one should want to get COVID, and then you have the vaccine, which that's people right. are afraid of getting. And then they're being gaslighted right. and they're saying, if you don't get vaccinated, you are a, you're scum. You know, it's like, no, you're not scum. You're, you're just are making your own decision. And it's, yeah. it's not even approved yet. You know, how do you force an unapproved but medical procedure it, on it, someone? Is, I, 
it is complicated that that's the real point it's complicated this this pandemics blow they suck it sucks that we have a pandemic and guess what it's dangerous and we're trying to help people mitigate reduce consequences you know reduce the transmission and we're doing things that we wouldn't do in normal circumstances they're not normal circumstances and um and you have probably by getting vaccinated helped other people as well and certainly by telling your story you're helping other people and hopefully people will work with their physicians and their medical providers to make good risk reward analysis for them i there's no doubt in my mind uh that uh, had I not had COVID, I would have gotten the vaccine. Hearing your story and all the other stories, I would still go get the vaccine. Now that I've had a vaccine and the natural immunity, I'm sort of a hybrid immunity. Oh, it's a little more challenging question, so we'll see. What's the matter, Susan? Sorry, my phone. You're talking to yourself? <laughs> <laughs> ah, well, and one thing I will say, one thing I will say by speaking yeah. out is, um, like we talked about, it kind of has been decreasing hesitancy for some people just because now they do yeah. know the side effects and they know what's going on. And sure. also there's been That's a right. ton of people who have reached out that had a reaction and they hadn't put two and two together. So by me speaking out, mm-hmm. now they're saying, oh my God, I've been suffering tachycardia. And then they're able to follow the same path and find help instead of just being like, you know, this, this, let go by yeah, the medical system. It's exactly right. How, how, what, if we're not discussing identifying this, how, how are we gonna get people into treatment? And if they don't understand that there are treatments, they're not going to do anything anyway. Our my peers need to be uh, sort of beefed up on what they need to do. We did put up the referral uh, source for the COVID long haulers. You want to put that again? Um, Covidlonghaulers.com. There's an email. When, that's we had, Caleb that had up there a second ago. That I gave you, Caleb. I, no, did we confirm that that's at, the correct uh, email? Because I've gotten yes, two different ones. It, yes. It's the yeah, it's no, immuno no, track no, with no C TR- in there. No. No C. He nursing. The nursing. first one I gave you. The nursing immuno one. Immuno track. Nurse, it's a nursing at immunotrack. There it no is. C there it is. Org. Would you mean to track what, no, Susan? No, C, no T, no CT, no K. Just wait. Okay. Wait, what? That's the wrong <laughs> no web. T- that's the wrong address. <laughs> I've had four different ones now. S I N G at nursing at immuno. T-R-A-K that's what he's got. O-R-G. That's what he's got up there. That's yeah, well, in case he just put it up, it's the wrong one. Okay. All right. <laughs> we're, Someone's we're, getting we're all these emails now. <laughs> yeah, we're spiraling. Uh, Kyle, I hope you had a pleasant experience. I hope this ends up being more positive than your last experience at talking on a, on a streaming show. Um, even though yeah. I think and you did a lot, really of, a lot of good. Having, during this, don't, go, c- don't click on the link until after the show. I, I, we want to have everybody here on that thing okay see a link i i think uh, dr speaking to dr campbell was an important thing he has a very big international audience and i think that was important for people to hear and see and you know people need to be able to know what to look for yeah, and what to do have, and yeah. and think about for their, people that are interested their, their risk reward for people mm-hmm. that are interested in learning more there's two websites they can check out and one is called react19.org and the other one is real not rare com or org. I'm not totally positive on that one, but both of those are good places where there's a lot of um, kind of anecdotes about what people are doing for treatment and just going through this whole process. And there's a lot of information. Also, React 19 has a little bit of money set aside to help people with funding for injury. And if people want to donate, they're also accepting donations to help out. So there's a lot of good people oh, doing a lot nice. of great work on this thing. Great news. And then covidlonghaulers.com is the other place you can go. So I think the email is on there somewhere if All you right. guys want to double check it. All right. 
Uh, Kyle, thank you so much, my friend, and uh, stay in touch. Whatever we can do to support you, let us know. And I know okay? Citizen needs to check yeah, out the nursing uh, email because Dr. Yo said, Thanks, yes, Kyle. they are taking people. Okay. So. Susan, I'm, I wish you had watched while I was trying to say goodbye to Kyle, <laughs> but poor Kyle got, got swiped off the, off the you, screen Kyle. while you were talking. Yes, Kyle, we appreciate you being here. We appreciate you coming on, telling your story. And uh, I, I feel like you're going to, you know, uh, listen, I think talking to Angela is probably a good idea. And uh, do what you can that has worked for other people and know that there are treatments and you can get better and you will get better. I think that's, that's so we're saying that to citizen as well. And to any of you who are struggling with these things out there, whether it's related to COVID or related to vaccine, this whole thing sucks, but we're going to get through this and we're going to make it better systematically. We're going to find ways through it. I've been saying that from the beginning that we have the, the medical system. In the United States has a way of sort of improvising and finding solutions and coming up with stuff. It's not, instant takes a while and we have sort of there's stepways along the way where we try things out and we hope that, that we do things that don't cause any adverse reactions which is why we, we repurpose things that like fluvoxamine and things that have been well tolerated over the years more Avarac, science statins. works well it does we get and, people uh, like dr yo and dr Patterson. i'd say stay positive uh, stay out of the uh the polarization that is not helping anybody uh stay out of the panic that is not helping anybody and uh yeah stay, stay informed and work with your physicians and your caretakers and we will be back uh monday with uh brian kilmeade he wrote a book about uh, two two uh, historical figures that I know a lot about and feel very strongly about, and so I wanted to talk to him. It's Frederick Douglass and Abraham Lincoln, and I've actually been reading his book, and it's good. And I'm very uh, picky about that period of history, so I'm I'm delighted to say that uh, Brian has picked out really the important, really the important moments, the historical moments, and portrayed them in an easily to digest and accurate way. I, I found it quite 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 good book. Uh, we have, I have a quick comment by McKay Smith on um, YouTube. She said, don't click on the comment by Whitney Cook. It's a scam. Mm. Um, also, I just want to mention that, you know, if you're going to put links up there, it, do them at the end of the show because we don't want to lead people away from our show during the show. And if I put one up, you know, just cut and paste it, put it somewhere and go look at it later because we really appreciate you guys hanging on. And uh, Andrew Ashkazvili is uh, bringing out the saying, look for Paxlovid, which is the whoop. Oh, there's this. Okay. Yep. There it is. That's uh, thank you, Alana. And this is the new. Is it out yet? Do we no, have it? No, we're waiting for it. It's still in the port. Okay. It's coming. Bobbleheads. Uh, but Paxlovid is going to be. A, bobbling a, a, in the port of. Long pa Beach. Paxlovid is going to be a major step forward. Uh, hopefully, Molnupiravir will have some impact as well. But these are the antiviral therapeutics that are coming out very shortly, and uh, they look amazing to me, particularly Paxlovid. Uh, that's something I'd, I'd have ready to pull the trigger on very easily if somebody gets sick from COVID, in my humble opinion. You know, opinion. it's funny. I used to have dreams, nightmares at night when I was a kid that mm -hmm. I was paralyzed and I couldn't walk and I mm. couldn't move. Those are called night terrors. I know, and I swear, I listened to this and I'm like, I... I would wake up and go, oh, my God, thank God my legs work. Mm. Can you imagine that actually coming true? Like, I... Mm. Uh, it happens. All right, you guys. Uh, again, Brian, come meet on Monday. We're going to be going Monday through Thursday next week. We have Vinnie Tortorich, a great Vinnie Tortorich in here on uh, Wednesday. Monday, uh, you have uh, uh, Kill Me from Fox. Right, <laughs> right, which I just told them all about. Uh, and uh, we have a couple of guests. I'm, I got to get... Uh, sort of um, 
inform more about the Tuesday and Thursday guests, but I'm sure they're going to be good. But uh, Vinny, Brian, Monday and Wednesday, and two other guests Tuesday and Thursday. And we will, uh, they're Is all across Stuart, the week. Stuart Stuart Pierce at 3 p.m.? Not sure Patricia who Patricia Stewart. Pierce Stewart, Stuart Pierce. I don't know quite what that one is. Vinny yet. on Wednesday, and then you have Brian uh, on Monday, and then we have Jedaliya Bila on Yeah, I'm not quite Thursday. sure what those are. They're good. They're the best. They're amazing. And so and we may have one on Friday too, because we're gonna pile them all up before the before the Christmas holiday. Before the holiday, excellent. Um, but and, we, and, it'll and be Dr. Ram's birthday, which will be the day of the end of the world. So we have to all be <laughs> get all those shows in before that. And everything will be at three o'clock. We look forward to seeing you then. And until then, thank you, Caleb. Thank you, Susan. And uh, thank you all for participating. Appreciate those of you over on Clubhouse. We're going to be ending God that bless Clubhouse you guys room. for coming on and telling us your story. We really appreciate it. Appreciate it so much. Ask Dr. Drew is produced by Caleb Nation and Susan Pinsky. As a reminder, the discussions here are not a substitute for medical care, diagnosis, or treatment. This show is intended for educational and informational purposes only. I am a licensed physician, but I am not a replacement for your personal doctor, and I am not practicing medicine here. Always remember that our understanding of medicine and science is constantly evolving. Though my opinion is based on the information that is available to me today, some of the contents of this show could be outdated in the future. Be sure to check with trusted resources in case any of the information has been updated since this was published. If you or someone you know is in immediate danger, don't call me, call 911. If you're feeling hopeless or suicidal, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255. You can find more of my recommended organizations and helpful resources at drdrew.com help.